The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. All right. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy Eye Candy Kimsey. What's up? Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Come on, Ralph. Start talking. You could rap a little bit or something. Represent. (laughs) And then behind the glass, Andy Bishop. It's all new glass today. Yeah. The one, the only, Andy. And we have a special guest today on our Resurrection podcast. Cherry is not here. She had to move camper, man. She's uh, her her next door neighbor's down there at the lake, right next to her camper. Them people's been drinking and cussing, and they've had enough. They're moving that thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's where she's at. Yeah, because Cherry doesn't cuss. No. <laughs> yeah. So our special guest... Straight from my loins, the fruit, oh, the fruit of my loins. Yeah, that is just gross. Jonas Welch, my really son, Jonas Welch. I love the introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> from the fruit of my loins, <laughs> the loin. Yeah, Notice from he said his the fruit, fruit yeah, of the yeah. looms, not the, the fr- thick, <laughs> not the thick part of his loin, just the fruit. <laughs> the fruit of the loins. Wow. The fruit of the looms. And the, oh, well. oh, man. Well, we're going to get back. This is funny enough. We're, we're recording this. Uh, this would be our 11th episode. Very late. Uh, we've done some side studies. People have been missing. We, I, I just wanted to try to make sure everybody was together. And so we're actually in October now. So we're way off timeline, but we're going back. And uh, just so you know, uh, Billy. Uh, Jesus has not come back yet, so you are still wrong, <laughs> but I'm still not done yet. So yes. if it happens during this episode, then yippee skippy. Yeah. From what I've read, I'm a, I'm not the only one that's wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> True. I have heard so, people be wrong for a very long time now, yeah. so I'm sure that yeah. we're all used to it. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to remember how many times like significant people have predicted end of life that was the, the end of there or whatever in my own lifetime, but yeah. not just like every old weirdo. Like there have been a couple that like a reasonable number of people seem to be taking seriously. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. It, it was really crazy when you get out and look at how many people that said that uh, this is the end. It's coming. Like nineteen eighty eight was a, a major yeah, year. I think that, that was, was a big yeah, one. That yeah. was a big one. So there's been a couple that were yeah. People yeah, people like, were like, of course, right. two thousand. You know, and all that. Yeah. So anyway. Well, like I said, we're out of the timeline, so for our listeners, you're not going to know some of the things we talked about. We actually get into the Olivet Discourse later on, and I guess we call this a season in our in our season of the podcast. And uh, yeah, there was a book called uh, 88 Reasons the Rapture mm-hmm. Will Occur in 1988. Mm-hmm. He got it wrong, and so he wrote, <laughs> whoops, the 89th reason it should happen in 1989. <laughs> Didn't work out. Sorry, man. But uh, hey, John Hagee, you know, he wrote a book, uh, I think it was in 2014 and 15, The Four Blood Moons. It was one of those crazy years where there was a blood moon 
uh, on every significant Hebrew calendar date, you know, like Passover and the Feast of Booths and all, like it, the the blood moons were happening. And the, the title of the book was The Four Blood Moons, Something's Going to Happen. You know? Do you know what happened? What? The Four Blood Moons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The Four Blood Moons happened. You got some of it, right? Yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to go on record as uh, as saying that astrology is is also not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so in our last episode, you know, we talked a little bit about Black Lives Matter. Uh, I read their manifesto, and I had said that uh, the only problem that Christians would have with it, and I know because I've heard them say that, is that when they brought up uh, Black queer and Black transgender, that that was the thing that would kind of turn them off from it. And and I said, you know, from my perspective, like I I know people who are black, who are queer, that I love dearly. And um, hearing that in their manifesto, I didn't have any problem with the fact that they wanted to support everybody. You know, they wanted to, any any black man or woman that has been um, marginalized uh, or trans or anyone that's been marginalized, they're, they're trying to help. And so I don't have a problem with that. I, I get it. And I was talking about Blue Lives Matter, which is uh, sort of uh, seen as antagonistic you know, from where Christians bring in policemen to their church and they say, hey, you know, they're screaming defund the police and we're saying, no, we stand behind you and all that. So, and I had said, you know, why in the world am I talking about all of these crazy different things when it comes to the resurrection? And the point, again, that I was trying to make so long before was that Jesus said, and this is how they will know that you are one of my disciples. You will love one another. And a lot of times we do the opposite. We are so harsh with each other and we are so mean. And uh, I feel like if we see people in our in our country or in our surrounding uh, communities that need help, that sitting back and, you know, just watching Netflix and not giving a crap about what's going on in our community, that's not, the, we, we need to be engaged. We need to help. So when it comes to the resurrection, like, hey, no, what, what is that? Well, the resurrection is the key point for Christians. Without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. That's what it's all, you know, that's what it all boils down to is that this this miracle working man uh, that people thought was amazing um, goes to the religious authorities of its time, calls him out, tells him God's bringing judgment. Then they send him over to the Roman authorities. He's crucified and buried, and all of his believers scatter. And so it's like it's over. But then three days later, here he comes. And he told them, but they just forgot. They just freaked out. It was the end of it. It's hard to put ourselves in their position to understand. But uh, on this particular episode, we've already read through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, I'm going to have Ralph here in just a second, if you don't mind, Ralph, to read the resurrection account in the Gospel of John. And then we're going to talk about the differences. And one of the things I want to do is I want to do a cold case study on the resurrection accounts. I thought it was really interesting because— Oh, I did I did actually see that. I skimmed through that. Yeah. Oh, did you skim? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, it is fascinating to me that to look at the resurrection, it would be impossible. You know, we don't have any evidence other than the Gospels. 
And so we had to find out, is that enough? And there's so many books that are written about this. And you can believe this or not believe this. I'm not, it, it doesn't make a difference to me. But it is fascinating to look at the Gospels through a homicide detective's eyes. <laughs> this guy, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you who it is here in just a little bit. But uh, Ralph, tell me when you're ready. And then I would like for you to read uh, the resurrection account and found in the Gospel of John. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she swept, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not one of them, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were there together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with the fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fists, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came back and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to, the, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain till, until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Thank you very much, Ralph. That was a lot to read. And I'm also going to ask, if you don't mind, to pull up Acts chapter 1. Wonderful. Um, I'm going to go ahead and have you read that right after I want to make a couple of comments. So um, if you've listened to any of the side studies uh, at this point, you know you know, my personal belief that Lazarus wrote the Gospel of John. And regardless of whether you agree or you disagree, 
uh, I, I want to make note of something. When they are in the boat, you read to us, Ralph, who was in that boat, okay? And it never makes mention of the disciple whom Jesus loved being in that boat. It doesn't make mention of the disciple whom Jesus loved until afterwards when Peter and that disciple are walking with Jesus, okay? So it makes mention of the sons of Zebedee being in the boat, and then two other disciples. And so when you hear other disciples, you don't necessarily know who they are. You can think that's part of the 12, which some do. And then you got, we also have to understand that there are so many more disciples other than the 12, what we call the apostles. And then by this point, there was only 11 because Judas had already committed suicide. So when when this man is walking on the beach, or whenever they go and they sit down and eat, did you notice that one line where it says, they knew who he was, but they didn't say it. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that that's in there? Why do you think that the author wanted you to, like, what's the point there? Is it possible that Jesus is in a form that they don't recognize, but they know by his actions that's who he is? Well, they could also know by the feeling, like the, the aura about him. But, but why wouldn't they just say his name? Yeah, like the, the I think the point is 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 he in a in a form kind of like in the other gospels where it says remember the two on the road to Emmaus that they didn't even recognize him. Well, right, but they he's 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 now come to him. This is the third time, so they're used to it. In the beginning, it's shock, and now it's not shock. It's like, well, he's here among us. But why didn't they say? But but they knew who he was, but they just didn't say it. Like they knew. Do you see where I'm going with oh, this? I understand. Why yeah. did they put there, there that is a verse reason, in there? Yeah, there's a reason why all of the words are there. I don't know why those specific ones. Yeah, it's almost like is he changing? Is he looking different now? Like is is something like what's happening to him? I think it's just to separate it from like Jesus the man and now what he is. Right. That's like, good. Like like you know. I don't know. I, that's it is interesting the way they said it instead of just saying that's Jesus, but it's it's still Jesus, but not what we knew him a, a, a few days ago or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Well, I also think it shows their comfort with him. That you got to remember, they spent years with him, mm-hmm. traveling with him, and so every time they saw him, they didn't say Jesus Rabbi. You know, they you know, when you get together with your friends, if you haven't seen them in a while, hey man, how you doing, Rick? What's going on? You and hugs and stuff. And then when, if I see you every single day at work, I don't greet you that way every day at work. I say, hey, what's up? And then we just get get about our business. I think that they'd spent enough time with him, and he'd revealed himself to them that it, it may have just been their comfort uh, of slipping right back into the way it was uh, as they interacted with each other uh, over those several years. Something else that I wanted to to ask you. Because I don't know the answer to this, but it came to me, and I, I tried to find it. I couldn't find. I never thought uh, that there were only 12 disciples at the Last Supper and that there were only those disciples. Now, we have pictures and we have people that talk about it, but I believe that there, there weren't just the 12 disciples, the chosen ones. I, I believe there were a lot of disciples. This was a huge upper room. This wasn't just a little room like we're sitting in here now doing this. This was a huge upper room where a lot of people could have been in. Uh, and I just was wondering how many – I'd seen the thing one time that I thought that I read where it said there were like 40 people there. But I just don't know who was there, and I was wondering if you had any knowledge about that. Because when you talk about the one whom Jesus loved, he would have to be around, but other people were named and he wasn't. And so I'm sure there are many times where things are going on and small 
groups are going on where there are more than just the 12 disciples there. And that's how Jesus, or that's how Lazarus could be around and in that room and be the one whom Jesus loved, only we don't hear his name. Yeah, I mean, when I was sort of formulating that the possibility that it could be Lazarus, the reason why it kind of took me aback was because Jesus himself says, I have longed to have this private time with you, my you know, my disciples. And it says with the 12. And so if it says with the 12 and it's private, then I don't know how many other people are there. And so to say there could have been 40, there's no biblical record of that there's anything more than Jesus and his 12, other than the good man of the house that allowed them to use that house, or the man with the water pot that was standing there for Peter and John to see as they're coming into the city to lead them up. And if there's a man standing with a water pot, I'd done some research and found out most likely he was one of these religious, uh, very extremely religious groups called the Essenes, and that they would wear these white linen cloths, um, kind of like the the naked guy, <laughs> you know, the naked guy running around a mark. You remember that, Billy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The streaker. When, the streaker, yeah. yeah. So uh, whenever you... Uh, when you try to figure out like who else could be there, those were the only other people that I knew. Now, right. there's- well, there's a couple of other places though. So when they talk about the one that Jesus loved, they say he was the one that asked Jesus, "Is it I, Lord?" In at that at that supper. So if if more people than Lazarus, more people than the twelve uh, weren't at that place, then how could the one that Jesus loved? be the also the person who asked Jesus at the Last Supper, is it I, Lord? Does it actually say, does the disciple in Jesus' love ask the question, is it I, or does he say that others ask, is it I? Uh, we just read that, so I'll look. In the Last Supper. You look that up, and then we'll get to Acts chapter 1. Jonas, what about you? Like, um, of course, As far as... Well, nobody in the audience even knows. I mean, I imagine you have a faith. Oh, uh somewhat like it's totally justifiable to speculate on at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd say as far as, as far as belief in Jesus or as far as, as far as what I know is true and what the Bible tells me, like that's pretty much it. Yeah. Where it's just like what I learned while I was growing up, um, what I have determined through my own spiritual faith from what I have read and what I've, what I have determined on my own. And then there's like really what's true, which is what like the interesting part is to me, where it's just like trying to figure it out. The whole concept of the cold case, it's really fascinating to me. Yeah. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit. It's a lot of fun. What you guys, you got something, So Ralph? it's uh, here at uh, verse 20 in John chapter 20, it says, Jesus and the beloved disciple, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Okay. So that was because Peter had asked him to lean in and ask him. And that's because of his relationship to Jesus. He's so close to him. And, you know, and this isn't about Lazarus today. I'm just, we've been in that side study. And I guess one of the things that I was trying to make clear is that Lazarus was the only man prior to Pentecost that has said Jesus actually loved. And it says it now, Jesus loved Lazarus and his sister Martha and her sister Mary. Like, he loved Lazarus. And that's the only time in Scripture that it says that. And so, 
even though, yes, Jesus loves everybody, I get it. That's not it, right? He loves everybody except for Billy. Yep. That's no. Right. He wow. lo- <laughs> what? It's not in Scripture. <laughs> Poor See, Billy. it doesn't say it in the Bible. <laughs> yes. And if it's not in there, then it, no. It can't be true. <laughs> no. Jesus, Jesus loves, and we understand that. But in this, for me, it was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, who is this character? And so when you when you get into the resurrection account from what we call John's Gospel, then we're getting a very intimate perspective here because the disciple whom Jesus loved is is really the eyewitness that's at the cross. None of the other disciples were there, right? He's also the one who has the inner the ability to get into the inner sanctum of the priest or the Sanhedrin whenever he is on trial. He has the ability to do that. John the Apostle does not have that capability. He is a fisherman from Galilee. He has no connection to the innermost And I prove it later in the book of Acts, whenever Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin and the chief priests, and they have no idea who these men are. They have no clue. So it's like, I can definitely say it's not John, the apostle. It's John somebody. I say it's John Eleazar, which is translated for Lazarus. But anyway, to get get back to the, the resurrection account, I really wanted to point out to the fact that it never makes mention of the disciple and Jesus love being in the boat, but then it, when they're on the beach, it says that he's there. So it's no doubt he was in the boat, most likely with the sons of Zebedee. So that he said the sons of Zebedee were in the boat, right? And so, but it doesn't say the name John. So a lot of that's where there's a lot of confusion. Like, well, maybe the disciple and Jesus love was the son of Zebedee, who was John. He was there. He was always with Peter, but in this case, that's not the case. In the Gospel of John. It's the disciple whom Jesus loved who is doing all of these intimate details that we're learning about. And he's the one that tells us that Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb while it was still dark, whereas all the other gospels say that it was that the sun had risen or as early morning, you know, as the sun was rising. But it says before dark. And I think that it points towards Lazarus even more because I believe that Lazarus and Mag- Mary Magdalene are brother and sister. I think that Mary is Mary Magdalene of Magdala. That I'll I believe it. And so because Mary was with them in Bethany, and that's where they were from, was in Bethany, then Mary leaves out early from Bethany to the tomb, which is two miles away. She left when it was dark. She left on her own. She meets up with the women later. And I've got, I'm going to put all this together here at the end of this episode to try to harmonize all of them, at least from one perspective. There's like five or six different ways I've seen that you can harmonize these gospels and it makes sense. But before I do that, I want to get into the other resurrection accounts and then we'll get into the cold case file. So in Acts chapter one, if you don't mind, Ralph. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after this his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in his ministry." Excellent. Thank you. So, at this point, Jesus has has been around everybody, and now uh, Peter has went off and he's begun to speak. So, this is where in the Acts of the Apostles, we start to see the leadership of Peter. Uh, you know, And also, it's important to note, uh, if you're looking at John writing the Gospel of John, that in the book of Acts, when they go back to that upper room, and there's about 120 people there, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And so we know that the disciple whom Jesus loved was going to take care of Mary, and so now you've got Mary in the same room, and you've got John in the same room, and there's no mention of Lazarus. And that's okay. It doesn't say anything about him. But it doesn't say anything about him in all the other Gospels either. Well, and it doesn't not mention—it's because it doesn't mention him. There's a lot of people. There are hundreds of <laughs> disciples, and, and and there were more than 12 apostles. So there, just because you don't mention someone doesn't mean that they're not there. Yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure he was there, and I'm sure there are a lot of apostles that we don't know of uh, that just were not as significant because they were going off doing things, and they didn't write things, or someone didn't write about them. And then some of those things, some of those people have just been left out of the Bible. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about him, right, Andy? Larry, the 15th apostle? Rufus. Rufus. (laughs) There was a Rufus. There actually was Alexander and Rufus. They actually mentioned in the Bible. Good job. He was supposed to be at the last podcast, right? Uncle Rufus? Uh, Uncle AJ. Oh, I was close. (laughs) My uncle used to call me Rufus. (laughs) Did he? Uncle, yeah, Uncle AJ. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to read from you uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 just a few short verses, just to kind of give you some more context as far as the resurrection is concerned, and then we'll get into the cold case. So uh, this is Paul writing 1 Corinthians, "'For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter.'" Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, 
unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. So we've read that before whenever we were going through the burial. We read that same scripture because that's part of the gospel that he preached, which was that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. But I really wanted to point out that he appeared before 500 brothers. And see, that's the crazy part. Um, like until we started this, I've just always just thought like there was only a couple people saw him and then that was it. Yeah. I didn't know he went and hung out on a boat or, well, you know. As many honestly, people, I mean, he walked among them for 40 days. He couldn't have just seen five people, right? Yeah, exactly. I didn't know the kids just screaming Jay Hawkins were getting, about it, were getting together that far back. Yeah. <laughs> 500 <laughs> brothers. There's not a lot of people who can make that claim. No. And, and think about it. I mean, in, in Jesus's ministry, there was a time whenever there were a lot of people coming to listen to him. And they were hungry. 5,000 people, 5,000 men were there to listen to Jesus. And the disciples came up to Jesus and said, send them home. These guys are hungry. They've been here all day. They're wore out. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, what? And so this little boy brings up five loaves of bread and two fish. And so Jesus says, "Uh, y'all make some fish sandwiches. And uh, they're like, uh, what? And then we know the story, right? Yeah, yeah. He feed. It says he feeds the five thousand. Now, to understand that, to think if each one of those men had a wife, and if both the man and wife had one child, that could be fifteen thousand people. At the end of this, after he uses what was given to him, five loaves and and two fish, when it's all said and done, and everybody's been fed, and he's finished his preaching, he sends the disciples out to go pick up the scraps that are left over, and all of the disciples come back with a basket full. There was 12 baskets full of bread and fish. So who was the lesson for that day? The disciples, because they needed to feed them, and Jesus said, I can do all these things. And with faith, you know, we can move mountains. That's what he says. And so by faith, he fed them. And you can look at it, well, it's figurative. No, you don't get 12 baskets full of figurative you know what I'm saying? It was some literal fish. So I imagine that some of those 5,000 were probably some of those 500 that actually saw the risen Christ. We don't know because the gospel begins to take off at this point, right? So to discount the resurrection, you know, as an atheist, that was a that was a big one for me. The, anything supernatural was out the door for me. That you, you're feeding five thousand people, walking on water, all of it's just a bunch of fables. I don't so care. Do you think birth is a fable? What? I'm just saying it's 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 it. If Ralph doesn't have a baby soon, <laughs> right? I mean, this guy, the miracle of birth for it's, Ralph, it's his it, favorite miracle. <laughs> Except it's a it's a pretty well explained miracle. That's have the you ever thing. seen it's. It's a miracle, but it is not, in fact, miraculous. When we were kids, Andy. You can't understand birth anymore that you can understand whether or not the Moses parted the Red <laughs> no, Sea. No, no, people or... definitely understand birth more than people understand Moses parting the Red Sea. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. That is absolutely no, incorrect. You, you, no, 
they they know they know how it works. It's pretty much just cells dividing. They can tell you exactly what cells divide when, and you know how the sperm accesses the egg. I, yeah, but I mean, they can't, they, you're you're they wrong can't go, about the no, literal um, act no, they, of a fetus being they, grown. They they can't. Exp- nobody can explain how that happens on its own. Sure they can. <laughs> no, they, what do you they mean? Can they literally they, can. What makes what makes it happen though? So you don't know what, the what do you the, mean? The, what the makes secret what sauce what behind part what that happen? happens? What is the part? So you're looking for this proof that says what is the part uh, that's unexplained? Because I can only think of explained parts. Just because <laughs> the literal part that you cannot explain. Split. How did how did those two eggs split? Oh, literally, that, you just need to take like those a, two eggs split a one hundred level. Genetics, like not genetics, a 100 level college biology course explains the answer to that question. A 100 level biology course. So it is like the in high school kids take that because you don't that know. Doesn't, that because still you doesn't don't know, explain. does that make it not true? No, no, and be, no, you can't explain, and nobody can explain. The things no, that we happen. literally can. can. No, but you can't. Literally, you can't. we can. No, that's not because you do not know. Literally, does not make it not, not true. True, and I do know because I have studied it and taken more than a hundred number one biology class. There is something that makes that happen. It doesn't just. It does happen on its own, meaning that it splits. But there, it wouldn't happen if the sperm didn't enter the cell. Is that what you mean? I mean, if that's there, the trigger. If you're looking for a trigger, there's that's kind of the everything beginning of the in, chain. Everything in this earth happens for a reason. It doesn't just it's just not this see, I just secret thing that, that happens. Well see, well and then there's yeah, the there's, big difference between there, no, it's a cause and effect. But at any rate, whether no matter what you believe, you can explain a cell dividing. You can explain a lot of things, but you can't explain the spark that starts all that going. Oh, I mean, you literally Lucy, can. You yeah, got you can definitely to do. You can explain that spark. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they start Spanish. for certain reasons. <laughs> you got some explaining to do, Lucy. Listen, when I go to the hospital and they ask, you know, actually, Jonas, when you were born, when somebody came up and they say, "Hey, did your mom have you naturally?" I was like, "No, she had him supernaturally." <laughs> I'm messing with you, Ralph. Listen, the fact is, is that Ralph thinks birth is a miracle. And when we were kids, when I when I went to middle school, or actually it was junior high back then, I had to watch The Miracle of Life. And it was the first time I ever saw a human baby's head come through a vagina, and I thought I was going to die. I was in like seventh grade, and I was like, like no! Oh. <laughs> every, every girl our age that had to watch that, yeah. terrified yeah. for <laughs> Decades. I, I, always think, I always think of Stewie on Family Guy saying, "Oh yeah, baby, when I came out, I wrecked that thing because he got the football, football head." head yeah. <laughs> uh, after hearing the story so many times, it just gets funnier each time I hear it. Yeah. Which just part? Uh, the birth. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, you know, they, just they screwed up high school girls for decades with that with that film. Like, legitimately, talk to girls that saw that film. They were terrified of childbirth for yeah. decades. They effed people up with that. Man. Listen, man. Oh yeah, they were screaming. I did not like. I was like, wow, that kid's got a full head of hair. <laughs> you know, it was like he looks like Jimi Hendrix coming out of there. I was like, wow, it, it really like freaked Jimi me out. Hendrix, that's it amazing. was pretty weird. And then you hear like the the, the tearing. <laughs> Do you know it's a miracle to me in natural living? Is the fact that you could have two people raised in the same household and their personalities be completely different. That's to me what it's 
it's crazy. Like you see, like I know, I know there's a family that I know that they were a Christian family and they had these four children and three of the children raised, I'm talking about, they are identically raised, like treated the same. They're only just a year different, you know, and it, and, but there's one of them that's just, he's got to be the mailman's kid. Like, that's what you think, but you know, he's not, but it's like, God, this guy's bananas. Like he is nothing like the rest of them. You know, that is to me is not necessarily a miracle, but that's what freaks me out. You can't explain. There's no explanation. Well, yeah, he's just genetic randomness, right? And and their particular circumstances, which even though they were raised by the same people in the same manner, the particulars of their circumstances are going to be different. Yeah. So it's somewhere between just genetic randomness and the particulars of their circumstances. Yeah, I mean, granted, that's that's a good point. So let's so let's think about it this way then. See, being an atheist is boring. You forgot, didn't you? Yeah, see? You can explain (laughs) everything. Well, there... Just because you put the steps together, one, two, three, four, doesn't mean that you could do it. So if you can't do it, then you can't say why. You can just say that this is how it happens, but that's not why. Boy, that is some parsing, sir. Yeah. (laughs) That that is some fine... I'll get you the razor. You can kind of start to make those cuts. Yeah. That is... Woof. That is... So, all knowledge that's not directly learned is worthless? Is that what you just said? Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Woof. All right. Check. Gotcha. (laughs) Andy is spicy today. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'm going to raise... You're entitled to your opinion. I just disagree. I, you know... I'm good with it. I think it's great. But all right, so let's do this. The resurrection is a supernatural event that cannot be explained easily. Let's just, that's a fair statement. Am I right, Andy? Oh, yes, absolutely. So if you are an eyewitness to this, it is a supernatural occurrence. These people have not seen angels. Now they're seeing angels. This is the first time that they're seeing angels, right? They haven't seen a giant stone get blown off a wall. This is all supernatural. They're seeing the man that they watched get brutally murdered standing in front of them now, talking to them. This is a supernatural occurrence. Either that or there's some con artistry going on where you you know they've worked it out in some fashion or they've got guys that kind of look like him that he's been teaching behind the scenes that are enough like him to where people, you know, like if Jesus was a like triplet. A, yeah, a stunt double or something. Yeah, yeah stunt yeah, double. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's why when they're sitting on the beach and they're like, oh, I know that's Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But is it? The easier stunt double would be to kill the wrong man. But yeah, all of these are uncreative answers, frankly. Right. But I. But yeah, it's not as impressive or as fun as the resurrection right. by far. So, So let's just go around the room. Yes or no? Billy, do you believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead? Yes. Ralph, do you believe it? Yes. Andy. Well, no, I I, I don't, but it's <laughs> Do you it's believe just, it's possible? I don't. I didn't ask about the possibility. I, I just yes asked if no. he did I or guess, not. Yes, but he wasn't coming up with an answer, so I well, just asked okay. him Well, that's okay. I'm good question. with yeah, any no, answer he gives. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm not agnostic about much, but it's one of those things where I just have to be like, I literally don't know, but no, it seems out of the scope of possibility. Yeah, right? it doesn't happen a lot in our time, right? That's right. There you Resuscitation go. <laughs> is not resurrection. Let's make that clear. He was not right, resuscitated. That he was We're dead. talking about he was dead. dead. Yeah. And he was dead for days and he was resurrected. All right. Jonas, what about you? Um yes. You do? Yes. Okay. I do believe so. Like to make the comment on the fact that that Jesus might have been a triplet or there was like a stunt double in the background, it made me think about the movie The Prestige. 
where it was just like you didn't even know. Didn't even know what? Well, I don't think I've ever seen that. It's like a movie about... Um, is that about Tesla? Um, there is Tesla in it. He helps out Hugh Jackman with one of his magic tricks, and he's going to battle with like Christian Bale, who's another struggling magician who's trying to get by. And like throughout the entire movie, you're just wondering, how is this guy doing all of these miracles that he's doing? And they're just like, oh, well, it's easy. He's using a double. And he's like, no, 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 that's too simple. He's too brilliant for that. Like, he doesn't need to do it. So then Hugh Jackman, he goes to seek, like, Nikola Tesla to try and find out a way to successfully clone himself all over again to where he could just create more and more and more for him in this, like, brilliant way. And then, like, by the end of it, you just find out, oh, no, this guy had a twin brother, and I was just being a jerk. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> well, I get you now. Yeah, so... Yeah, so... That's how you... That's That's the... The answer to that mystery was that he had a twin. So what about you, Rick? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. Oh, my goodness. There is the fun fun of the man Thomas, though. Yeah. Being called the twin? Being called the twin. Whose twin? Was he Jesus' twin? Right. Whose twin? It just says the twin, right? Right. It's never like Was Mary pregnant, and so she had the Holy Spirit baby, but also... Because the egg split. Yeah, it's not so like one's, it's, Yeah, it could be anybody's. It could have been George's twin. Yeah. I don't think it's really clarified. He's they call him the twin, twin, but they don't ever talk about who his twin brother was. Yeah, I know. I get it. It's really interesting. But And we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, um, but he was the firstborn. In my personal opinion, he was born to Mary as the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of Abraham's seed. I believe all of those things. And I believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, literally on the third day. Exactly as the Bible said it. And I did not, ladies and gentlemen, I did not believe that for the longest time. I thought it was a joke. And I thought, these people are believing a bunch of junk. But when I started getting into some of the arguments and the debates on how you, you know, how do you look at evidence? The Bible is one of the most amazing books when it comes to evidence and historical evidence. It is awesome. Have you guys ever heard of Bart Ehrman? Andy, I think you would like that guy. Bart Ehrman. He is the professor of New Testament studies out of uh, Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and he's an atheist. But he's oh, he's the professor of New Testament studies, and the, he no, wait, wait what exactly? Uh, okay, a okay. lot of like biblical professors are yeah atheists. I, I could see that. Yeah, it makes sense now. Once you step back and say, oh, okay, I, yeah, I see and, that. Yeah. yeah, his arc, and I don't want to get into Bart Ehrman, which. By the way, he's a fantastic writer and he's brilliant. That guy is brilliant. And I've oh, I enjoy his books. I read a book called Did Jesus Exist recently and it is fantastic because he he points out like one of the things that he got me on back like I said when I was an atheist was that look at the resurrection accounts. Look how different they are. Was there one? Was there two? Was there three? Were there yeah. more? Was this time? Was it before? Was it after? Like look at it. Even and, they don't exist. And, and if you don't agree with it or you don't believe in it then you're going to Use every knowledge or every brain cell you have to prove it wrong. Yeah, so I can see. I can see the the. the and, and the strange part the was now. is that he was a Christian as a young man. That he went to Moody Bible Institute, but then after he finished Moody Bible because he was going to become a minister, he went to Princeton Theological Seminary. And when he got there, and you get into the higher education learning, the scholar type learning, you start learning about the validity of the scriptures themselves. Like, can you prove like? When did the Bible come into existence? Well, the first known Bible that came into existence was 363 AD. 
That's 330 years after Christ died. That's a lot of time. Think about how much has changed for us in our lifetime. Now add another 300 years to it. I know a lot of it was probably verbal, carried on like traditionally in a verbal way for those 300 years. Mm -hmm. And we've all played telephone. It was until recently when Bart Ehrman discovered, he is part of the discovery and he's coming out and saying it hasn't changed his position on belief, but they found uh, a fragment of the Gospel of Mark that's been dated to early first century. Oh, that's cool. It is awesome. And and he actually, there was a lot of scholars that were trying to say that Jesus never existed at all, kind of like the way that you would read uh, Greek mythology about Zeus and you had all these stories that were written. Okay. I, I actually Googled that recently just because my brain was like, I heard that some people believe Jesus wasn't, never existed at all. And the answer I got was, there's no real archaeological evidence of Jesus, mm-hmm. but there's no real archaeological evidence of anybody that wasn't like wildly rich and powerful at that time. So like a lot of the arguments were based kind of on that idea mm-hmm. that, well, we haven't found physical evidence of him. Well, it's a kind of a bad argument because you don't find physical evidence of people from two th- single individuals from 2000 years ago. So it's kind of a bad faith argument and there's not a lot of debate going back scholarly or biblically about the existence of that man. Right. So that was that was the short answer. I recently, because of this, I was like, oh, I remember thinking that. And I Googled it because I didn't want to open my stupid mouth uh, without checking into it first. And that was that was what I read. Who said you had a stupid mouth, Ralph? Well I <laughs> Well, you know what I mean. I just I it's just like one of those thoughts you're like <laughs> It's not the mouth. It's what comes out of it. Oh, <laughs> what Jesus said. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, well it's just, you said you didn't believe. Uh, there are things that when I was young, growing up in the Catholic faith, that I didn't believe. It was hard to believe some of these things. And then once I studied more and then uh, believed in the miracle of this or the miracle of that, different things that happen in life that I think don't just happen on their own. There's a reason. We just don't know why. Once I accepted that I'm not going to get the answer to everything, that's when I came to believe a lot of the things that happened. Because there are a lot of things that are unbelievable. To somebody that you you put somebody in school and don't teach them anything about the Bible, get them through, let's say, college, and they've taken classes on everything, and then sit down and tell them this, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. And so at that point, faith comes in, and you just choose. I have chosen, knowing that things are unexplainable, I've chosen to believe this way. Sure, I mean, and it is a choice that you're making. Well, yeah. You know, you, uh, so you're like, you're like saying, "Well, I don't believe in the ark or the Jonah, but I believe in the resurrection." You got to believe in it all, or like a woman that ran around naked in the Garden of Eden. I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. If you believe in the resurrection, you got to believe in the ark that it it would happen in the flood. And so anyway. you know what the first thing that Adam said to Eve was? Oh. Dear, already? Oh, you no. start jokes you already? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I have no idea. Stand An back. Apples. I'm not really sure how the big this thing gets. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, so He was talking about the snake in the tree, right? He <laughs> 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 <You> lost me. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Terrible. This apple sweet. Oh, yeah, this, it, for the listener... This gets this gets bad sometimes <laughs> when when the mics are off and everybody's just trying to like ew each other out that that becomes a thing every once in a while. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but there's if I'm not incorrect, right? There's some physical evidence for 
for the flood, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the weird, I saw this weird program. I just keep wanting to bring this up in the context of this. I, I saw this weird program a number of years ago. I couldn't tell you what it was, but it was fascinating. It was like the these people trying to explain how physically, specifically the Old Testament was a, a lot of the big events of the Old Testament were physically possible. Like the sort of bush that was burning is the type of bush that actually secretes an oil that's flammable and the way in which the sea could literally maybe, I mean, it's a little bit of a push, but they found a way that is physically possible to part that sea mm-hmm. so that they could have walked across it and stuff. And I found that interesting because- Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't, it was like- I saw I that study. Of, that was really interesting. It was super interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. All right. Sorry. Yeah. And, you know- Having a, a way to uh, explain a miracle in a natural way uh, takes takes away the supernatural right, that, of it, but it doesn't to that me. That works for some people and not for others, right? Right. Like, that works for me. Yeah. Like, that means, that makes me say, all right, that could literally be history. And for some people, it would take the magic out of it, but, you know, yeah, I think that it person. makes sense, though, because in uh, in trying to understand miracles as I was young— and and not believing in some of them, I tried to disprove them. And when I couldn't disprove them, that added to, well, okay, at a certain point, I have to make a decision. This is the decision I'm going to make. See, see, I'm exactly the opposite. I, I need proof, not disproof. Right. I don't need to disprove them. Then I think you can come to the same conclusion both ways because oh, it's still I'd the imagine same probably amount of research. Right. Sure. Today's episode is going to be really interesting, I think, for you. Uh, because we're looking at a cold case file of the resurrection based on a detective, a homicide detective who was an atheist who um, got got interested in this. And he wasn't trying to disprove it. He just got interested. And he thought, well, I wonder if I apply like what I do to this, to all of this, and just started putting some effort into it. And it (laughs) it shocked him. You know, he he had no idea how he was going to end up. And it was that burden of proof, you know, and the man's name is Jay Warner Wallace, and he's a homicide detective, and he does cold cases. And so he says, and if anybody, any of the listeners want to look, I think it's called uh, Cold Case Christianity, I think is the name of his website. Uh, forgive me, but his name is Jay Warner Wallace, so you can Google that and look uh, it up. Did you, sorry, Rick. Did, did you say he he does believe he, he is a Christian? Or He's he, a Christian uh, okay. now. Oh, he, he wasn't. Is, okay. Okay. He was not a Christian, but he is now. I don't um, know why that's a important fact that I need to know, but it's just, I don't know. Sometimes yeah. for, for believers, it's important to know, like when you start listening to somebody, before you get to the end of this, you want to know, okay, is he a believer or not? I like, know, it's weird. That feeling. Yeah, yeah. I used to be that way. Now I'm just kind of like, yeah, I just want to hear like, what they're right saying. Here. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Oh, remember the other day? I just sorry. I want to interject this, and you can put it wherever you want. You you asked if we'd heard of Bart Ehrman, and I in my mind I'm trying to think, and I knew it that I knew him. Remember yesterday I told you I was watching that show called Who Wrote the New Testament? Yes, he's in that show. He should be. And some of the things that I told you about were in that show. Yeah. So if if anybody wants to do a little bit more studies, uh, who wrote the New Testament is a TV series from 2003 that he and a lot of other scholars, some who believe and some who don't, uh, discuss who could have written this, who could have written that, talked about James writing and why his book isn't in. And that was one of the things I was telling you. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about him is that when he wrote Did Jesus Exist, he went about through his own scholarship and proved the existence of Christ. Which I thought was awesome. He said, I don't believe in all the stuff, but he was a real man. He really lived based on accurate information that we have as scholars. 
he he says this is how Jesus became a god was because of the way this information traveled but he did exist and i thought that was awesome you know that he was honest enough to say he was a man he really did exist historically speaking we can prove well, there him better than we can Alexander the Great. There was a big in the 80s to prove that. I was when I was in college in the in the early 80s. There was a big thing going on where people were trying to prove whether or not he, he did exist. Yeah, because 1988 was just right around the corner. Uh, listen, <laughs> man, he was, yeah, exactly. he did. people were going to explode into the sky. <laughs> Andy, okay. earlier when we were talking about, um, you know, sometimes we have to hear information and find out if it's believers. Were you about to say something to look like you were? I was, but now I forget. Hey, that's the way I like <laughs> it. Go. We try to interrupt <laughs> that you. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> yeah. Jonas, what do you think about all this stuff? Um, I'm having the time of my life just seeing a whole bunch of old men just talk about what, <laughs> Dang, what they really like. You to just got to like about. stick your elbow in somewhere and then force a hole there. <laughs> I tried to, but honestly, I just like hearing y'all talk. <laughs> Well then, subscribe to our. Podcast. That's how I yeah, was Spotify. the first. That's how I was the first time, and then the second time, you couldn't shut me up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Every everybody gets better at it the longer it goes, and hopefully, we all will continue to because it's hard not to, especially when you like believe something, not to like talk over each other like Ralph and I were doing when we yeah. were having the discussion about cell division. Right? Like that's a learned skill. We're all getting better. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I it have really had developed. no problem talking over everybody. No, like I just did. No, it's, well, it's, and the other thing is, too, you'll get more comfortable knowing that this is a safe environment where we can have a discussion and a heated discussion and we could disagree with each other. But at the end of the day, we're all still friends. And oh, if if I believe nothing, I believe that Ralph is a good person. Yeah. So there. And just so you know, Andy now gets to eat lunch with us today. So that works <laughs> out. But uh, Jonas, unfortunately, will have to drink my Metamucil. <laughs> Yeah, I only just got into podcasts like four hours ago. So, um, uh, so well, you I have, think a, I've done good you so have far. a good voice for you. I mean, it's, it's a podcast voice. I tried yeah, that Mike, that Mike agrees with him. It's uh, yeah. just a random choice. Yeah. I really tried to be an impressionist for my life and it really just went towards my own self gratification. Yeah. I only just did what I wanted. Okay. Yeah. Do and you have any, would you like to share some? Uh, maybe later. Let me put you on the spot. That's the way I like to do it <laughs> yep, up in here. Yep, yep. Well, it's just like you could put me on the spot when you ask me to just be like, well, hey, like, what was, man, like, what would have been like if, say, like, this guy was talking to Jesus? Yeah. Do you want me to, like, come up with a character for you to use? Like Christopher Walken or something? <laughs> Oh yeah. man! <laughs> Can you do a Christopher nah. Walken? I could do a Christopher Walken Let's if I—I re- I mean, like if I really knew what it was about. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if someone like you were to meet God or Jesus, that's Shatner. No, it's not. <laughs> well, that sounded, that sounded oh, a little oh, more like. To a, be fair, the only difference between Shatner and Walken. Is where you put the pauses. That's it. <laughs> I yeah. Google it. There's there's a dude that will. There, there's a video where a dude just shows you like Shatner doing the same sentence as walking, and they're both dead on. And the only difference is the pauses and the cowbell. I, seeing him do the um uh that that was supposed to be Christopher Walken, right? Because I got the impression that it was because Sorry, oh, oh, well no I mean like I yeah, got ouch. the no it was just like I got the impression that I was just like this guy sounds like Marshall Applewhite from Heaven's Gate. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting here listening to you know like my father is not a human father. He comes from the planet of heaven. 
<laughs> a vehicle. A, a, yeah, a vehicle. But as far as Christopher Walken goes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There I we like go. It. Yeah, it was. Um, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to be the one to finally write the ship. Where are we going? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I just wanted to say that after I take the Metamucil, I take a Shatner. All right. So, so getting back to the courtroom. Okay, you get one more. And that's it. <laughs> no, okay. I, actually, I didn't even have one for the day. What? I know. Okay. And then he does a Christopher walking <laughs> off. I, <laughs> yeah, I can't do walking. All right. So this because he's a homicide detective, he has to gather so much evidence, okay? And then he has to be able to bring it uh, to where it can be presented into a courtroom. And because he understands that, he said, when it comes to a cold case file, there are a few unique things that have to be considered. Number one, it's an event in the distant past. So that's true about the resurrection. Uh, There are no living eyewitnesses. That's true about the resurrection. There is little or no forensic evidence. That's true. And then convincing circumstantial evidence. And that's where the Gospels or the Bible come from, you know, those those accounts historically. And so he also has to have the understanding that anything is possible, but not everything is reasonable. All right? So in an American courtroom— Uh, The jury is told by the judge and the lawyers that they are not allowed to speculate on what's possible, but rather to consider what is reasonable in light of the evidence that's been given to them, okay? And the standard of proof in the American judicial system is beyond a reasonable doubt. We've always heard that, right? You have to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. So when looking at the resurrection from from this perspective, um, and the evidence is presented to the jury or you the listeners, then we have to discern we have to determine for ourselves if the information that's given to us is beyond a reasonable doubt. Not what is possible or impossible. You know, dead men don't rise from the dead. We don't see that every day. It's not about possible or impossible. It's about historical evidence that was written talking about a specific time frame, about one specific man, and is there enough evidence that could help prove it beyond a reasonable doubt? Is it reasonable? Okay. So those are the parameters we're going to do this episode from. That's not that's not the only way to look at the resurrection, but that's just what we're doing today. A cold case file of the resurrection. <laughs> You'll have to put in some <laughs> Yeah, we'll put in something with a little pace. <laughs> I'm do, back. Yeah, do something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So the first thing a detective does is to find the minimum amount of information that leads to the most reasonable solution. All right. So in regard to the resurrection, there are what he says are four very minimum points that build the case. All right, that this could happen. One, Jesus was crucified and buried. So we know that. We work through the gospels on that. It speaks about that. Uh, although it doesn't prove that he was a miracle worker or anything else. Uh, we know that the man Jesus was crucified by the Romans and that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus buried him in Joseph's tomb. So we know that from the gospel accounts. Number two, the tomb was empty. So the disciples and the Pharisees and the priests admit it. There's written evidence on both sides. Number three, the disciples said that the tomb was empty and that they saw the risen Christ. Doesn't make it true. It's just what we read in the gospel accounts, right? And number four, the disciples went to their deaths believing this. So taking all of that, the four minimal points, 
The detective would then begin going through a series of thoughts in regard to the minimal amount of circumstantial evidence that he has. And he would break it down in seven, seven different points. Number one, they were wrong. Number two, they were lying. Number three, they were delusional. Number four, they were fooled. Number five, they were influenced. Number six, they were distorted. Or number seven, they were accurate. So what we're going to do now is we're going to break it down. Based on the information that we have, we're going to go through these seven steps that a detective would take if he was going to bring this evidence into a courtroom, all right? So number one, they were wrong. So the body taken from the cross was dead. Joseph and Nicodemus would have known if he was still living. They certainly wouldn't have buried him had he still been alive. The blood and water that came out of Jesus is typical in a homicide case autopsy, where shock, severe injury, or cardiac arrest take place. And John's gospel gives the testimony uh, to that site of death, what they saw at the death, because it was an eyewitness account, according to that gospel. It's all uh, the Roman soldier had to do was drive the spear through him to show that he was dead in order to report back to Pilate that this man was dead, meaning Jesus was dead. Okay, so... From the gospel accounts, all four accounts, Jesus died on the cross, and in the gospel of John is where we see the spear that's entered in, and we hear about the blood and the water, and we see, you know, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking the body and burying uh, Jesus. So this, again, all of this is going to be in relationship to the gospel accounts. That's what we have. Number two, they were lying, okay? So, in other words, was this a conspiracy theory? Right. So, in order to create a successful conspiracy theory, uh, this is what they say it takes a small number of conspirators, a short conspiracy time span, excellent communication, and strong familial relationships, or little or no pressure to confess. Think about the conspiracy theory of JFK uh, whenever he was. He was shot and killed in Dallas, right? That conspiracy theory still goes on. Who killed him? Was there a third man on the grassy knoll? There's a whole lot of people that don't know anything, but there's a whole lot of people outside looking in that are talking about it and keeping the narrative. The people that were close to it were zip. They didn't say anything, but a little bit of information came out and what you saw on television and this, was it the Subruder film? I can't remember what his name was. Anyway, so in any way you look at it, there were 11 apostles that were alive at the time. So in order to successfully pull off a conspiracy, they needed to all keep the same story, period. They had to keep the same story. If any one of them broke down the story, then the validity of the account would be disclaimed. It would, sorry, you know, proven wrong. So how long did these men, these 11 men, and eventually the rest of them, all of them actually, all 500 and something men, when you think about all of them, how long was it before the story ever broke with somebody spilling the beans. 60 years went by and they all died, okay? None of them broke their story. So they all were separated from one another for decades and none of them broke and changed the story or said anything different. Even though they were under extreme extreme amounts of pressure from uh, numerous governments, they were, they were being persecuted and killed, okay? So what would be the motive 
if they were going to lie about this, like, what's the motive? And a detective understands that there are three points in motive. Money, sexual lust or love, or the pursuit of power. Those are the basic three elements of motive. And so, did any of the apostles gain anything from telling this story? And the answer is yes, they actually did. And here's what they gained. Peter was crucified head down in Rome in AD 66. Andrew was bound to death in AD 74. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. You can find that in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 9. The apostle John was banished to the Isle of Patmos in Revelation 1.9, and they know that he was boiled, although he survived. Philip was crucified at Heropoli, Phrygia, in 52 AD. Bartholomew was beaten, crucified, then beheaded in 52 AD. Thomas, the twin of somebody, <laughs> was run through by a lance at Kor Handal, East Indies, in 52 AD. Matthew, the tax collector who wrote the gospel, was slain by the sword in the city of Ethiopia in 60 AD. Thaddeus was shot to death by arrows in 72 AD. And Simon the Zealot was crucified in Persia in 74 AD. So as far as motive goes, they all died without financial success. They all died alone. And they were all persecuted for their position and never changing their story. I think that ignores the one basic driving factor for spreading religion. What is that? It's not for gain. It's because you believe it's true and that you are helping people. And sure. So I'm not saying that I believe they necessarily had a conspiracy, but that one fact kind of ignores the basic driving principle of uh, the spread of religion. Sure. Having That's fine, but to take all 11 and put them through that same thing, I mean, you can hardly get two people to tell the same story and keep it straight, but to have all 11 push that hard, they they must have really believed something. I think, I think yes, but that's, I mean, that would be impingent on like them saying the same thing under any circumstances, let alone shitty ones. Right. But under the circumstances, let's think about- They believe it. They believe it. For all of them to hold the same story, whatever it is that they're believing and they're pushing that religion, they're going to the extreme, and that's all of them. Now, Heaven's Gate, all of those guys took that, you know, took that drink and flew up. They all believed it too, happily, right? But they weren't being persecuted to death. The story I heard is that they didn't all take it happily. But yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I know yeah, that's true yeah. about James. I mean, like, not exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like definitely with Heaven's Gate, there were a lot of people that like really didn't want to go, but they were going to follow through with it anyway. Hmm. So I would want to die having to have the haircuts that they had. <laughs> well, I mean, like the castration could have been left out. Like, I'm sure, <laughs> Ow, I'm sure they right. really right. could have. That's a thing. Yeah, I'm really sure that they could have dealt like without it. Or it's well, just like they didn't peer have to go to is a that weird thing, man. <laughs> yeah, they. I'm sure there's a lot of them. If you want to slide to heaven on a. <laughs> You need to cut off your balls. Also, it's going to take $5.75 to catch the bus. Did you know that? Well, they all had $5.75 to catch the ship that was going to take them to heaven. Wow. All of them. That's a reasonable It's a great fair. Yeah. This was in 1990, whatever. I mean, but still, that's pretty good to get to heaven. That's pretty cheap. Right? I mean, it's like the Allegiant. Yeah. To get to heaven. One yes, of sir. the things that you said was motives. They all died without financial success, but that's not true because many of them were successful. And, uh, you know, Matthew was a tax collector and he had 
tons of money. Uh, several of them were fishermen, and they had uh, family businesses as fishermen, so they were successful. They just that did was not prior to they him. just did not get success because of Jesus. But yeah, the point the point right. being that they had had financial success prior to Jesus, but after Jesus, what they gained was a hard death. life and death. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So John was boiled. John was boiled alive. He did. He, he didn't die. Yeah, he was boiled alive. Maybe success was getting stabbed to them. You don't know them. Mm-hmm. True. So as far as uh, also for lying, not to mention uh, women, the women were the first eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. In the culture, that was unacceptable. They were second-class citizens. If you're going to drive home something you know, that you want to have some clout, you don't bring the women in. <laughs> you leave them out and you bring in people like Nicodemus or Joseph Arimathea, somebody with clout that would actually, you know, be a witness. Well, in in the beginning too, when it when they first saw him, they were afraid too. So mm-hmm. they didn't tell the people right away. It wasn't until Jesus told them to tell the disciples that they actually went and told the disciples. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Andy, just a question for you. The thought that they were wrong or that they were lying, would you say that it's reasonable to think that they were lying, or would that um, not be reasonable? I don't think. Okay, so so here's my read on possibilities for that, not necessarily what I think. Okay, uh, they could have been lying about the resurrection because they believed so strongly in the pre-resurrection me- uh, message. Yes, that would be if if this were the case, that would be the one way to motivate them. Mm-hmm. They could still have believed in the message even if the resurrection didn't happen. They could have believed in it so much that they devoted their lives to it and ultimately were, you know, killed and suffered for it. That's mm-hmm. definitely a possibility. Right. I'm not I saying it's get, what happened. That brings us into the third point. I they were delusional. Get, well, I think you can get 12 people in a room and get them to agree to do this, but I don't think you could get 100 people to hold to it for the rest of their life. Yeah, how about millions? Yeah. I mean, that's what religion is, right? I mean, think about it. For the Christian religion, at least. So let's get into the third point. They were delusional. So there's something called the hallucination theory. Um, And basically, it's that they were all in shock after losing a very important person in their lives, after being with them for three and a half years. And regardless of what they saw, the things that they believed coming from him were super important. So the fact that they lost their leader creates the shock. And the power of suggestion is extremely powerful. And so, Billy, you actually mentioned something. You had a friend that died. Yes. And you told me that you had a dream. What was that dream? Um, I always blame myself for that because I was like with him that night that he like got in his car. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just, I had a dream that he just came by a couple of weeks after and told me it wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was, it was him. I mean, it was... It wasn't, you know, because we was talking about angels that night. Right. And uh, that was the only thing. And, you know, like I said, I don't, you know, I just, it was just one of those things. Right. And, but being in a dream, and this was just a couple weeks after, but you had that dream, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you had something that was on your conscience that was killing you. Yeah. And then your, either your brain or he visited or something, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. comes Mm -hmm. to you and says, it's not your fault. Yep. Yep. And that was good. When you woke up, did it mean it was, something to you? Yeah, I, I was relieved. A Do you still more. feel that way? Yes and no. I still, you know, I think, you know, we all have a handful of questions that we want to ask God when we get there. Personal mm-hmm. questions, and that's one of them. You know, right. like, like um, he was, a, he was a good person. I don't understand that. 
Um, right. You know, like we have, you know, I, you know, I know what happens and what, what's been said and what's, but it's still, it's like, I, I just don't, it's just one of those things you don't understand. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I was, I was a little more relieved, but I still carry it, carry it with me. Sure. So, yeah. I don't have any questions for God. In fact, when I die, I, I want him to just leave me alone and not put before me all the things I didn't do that I was supposed to do. Right. You know, I, I saw something uh, recently that a guy said um, his version of heaven is you go to heaven and the Lord introduces you to the guy you could have been, who mm. he meant you to be. And uh, heaven so is it's that, hell. <laughs> and, and, and heaven is that you meet that person and you chase that person all. He says, I, I want to meet that person and say, hey, I've been chasing you. And have that person say to me, hey, you caught me. Yeah. And hell would be like, you go up there and you meet God and God says, this is who you were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then that's, you know, not what you lived up to. So I'd just, I'd be happy just getting in and being at the back of the room and not having to uh, answer for things. Yeah. When I, ah, to be a wallflower in heaven. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was, uh, when I was young in my teen years, uh, I was very close. I've, I've talked about the Riley family before, but I was really close to Alan and Rachel and them. And um, when in 1993, November 17th, 1993, uh, Rachel uh, had a was in a car crash and she died. And we were, you know, it changed us forever. It's still to this day. We're still affected by that death. And she was someone that when we were younger in high school, she got us to go to the youth group at First Baptist of Hendersonville. And uh, she would, uh, I have so many stories, you know, where she would just always trying to get us to go to church, always trying to get us to go to church, which was interesting because she comes from a family of atheists, but yet uh, her mom would take her to church and allow her to be a part of that if that's what she wanted to do. She didn't hold her back. And then she started inviting all of us and we got to be a part of it. And so I was introduced, you know, to the gospel uh, Younger than that, but I was sort of reintroduced to it through because of Rachel. And then while we were, uh, we she had early graduated and went to uh, Blue Ridge uh, with Alan and, and myself, and I don't even know if that's proper English, Alan and me, <laughs> however it is. Uh, she starts to change a little bit, like her faith is starting to change. And I remember one particular afternoon after school, after college, we were sitting at. Uh, the house. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And I was like, really? Like, that's odd. She's like, well, I just don't know. I, I can't really buy it. And then it was a week later, she was dead. And I remember having this fear because when death occurs, it gets real really quick. And if there's an afterlife and there are some repercussions to the choices that you make, then it really gets real. And we were raised to believe there were repercussions for the choices that you make. There are some things that are said in Scripture that if you choose Christ, everything's cool. If you don't, not so much, right? So we we had that fear, and I remember feeling that, like, oh, no, did she give up? You know, and I just remember, and I was young, I was, I was 19, so I was like, so I was so upset by that. And then two, a couple weeks later... I wake up in the middle of the night. There's a bright light in the doorway of my room. And I wake up and I'm looking at the light and it's her voice. And she said, you do not need to be afraid because I am with him. He's bigger than that. And I thought, huh. And I woke up and I was like, 
oh my gosh, you know, and I, I like started to cry, like having this emotional experience. This is after being with just somebody like Rachel. This is with you just being with somebody like it's a friend. Yeah. But if you take it back to Christ, we're talking about Jesus Christ, the guy that the whole Julian calendar was changed, the calendar of the world was changed, you know, because of him. Yeah, but they couldn't have all had the same dream. That's where we're getting. Thank you for saying that. So those things can happen, but Mary met Jesus alone. Peter saw Jesus. Uh, the two disciples saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Uh, they didn't recognize him until they broke bread with him, but when they did, they recognized him. They said that the things that he had said made the scripture burn in their heart. You know, he just, there was something about him. The disciples without Thomas saw him, so there were 10 men that saw. And then uh, when Thomas came, then he actually physically touched the nail-scarred hands and the cut in the side from the spear. So there was 11. Then there were those that were on the mountaintop, the 120 that we know of that were in the upper room. Then there was another sighting where Paul had said, we read it earlier, where there were 500 brothers. They all can't have the same delusion about seeing a risen man that was dead. Okay, so in my opinion, the fact that it would be considered delusional, I can't explain it that way. Not with all of them in this agreement to see him, right? But I can go into the first, the fourth point, which was they were fooled. Now, that's a different story. If you have a very successful con man who knows how to manipulate people and to do these things, there's ways that you can do Just it. Just look at Jonestown. Oh, yeah. I mean, but that and even that. You start talking about miracle workers. There's a whole lot of things. Jesus used to do some weird things. Like he would say, go into town and ask him for the donkey. And if they say, what What are you doing with our donkey? You say, uh, the Lord's in need of it and he'll give it to you, right? They didn't know anything about some man in the city. They just went and saw the donkeys and the guy. So Jesus had people outside of their influence that was doing things. Go into town. Go. You'll see a man carrying a water pot. Go into the room and prepare the you know Passover. And the good man of the house will, you know. He knew these people that were outside. He always knew things that were coming. And so it's almost like, or uh, you've heard the statement that Mary was impregnated by a Roman soldier, and so she made this whole thing up. Bart Ehrman actually says, says she was raped by a Roman soldier and decided she was actually a genius. And so she had figured out and taught Jesus from his birth that instead of having an illegitimate child, that he was the Christ child. And so she starts using the scriptures and starts developing. I mean, that's some crazy talk. But as far as fool and con man, that's a lifetime of conning for a bunch of people to believe a charlatan and the love that he gave and what he did in his life, how he was healing people with informant. Well, maybe they weren't actually sick. Maybe that was just part of the narrative. You see where I'm going with this? You can get into that. So, but the gospels themselves, which is what we have, say that he did miracles before his death. He did miracles after his death. These were things that many, many, many people saw. It wasn't just a few. A lot of people saw it. So you can you can say what you want. He ascended into a cloud in front of these people. And they're, you know, like, either it's real or it's not, or he was a con man or he was what, whatever. But as far as they were fooled, to me... When I was an atheist, that was the easiest one. I thought, I know con men, and I know what they can do, and there's some pretty cool... I mean, think about David Copperfield, man. He made that jet disappear, <laughs> right? And we all know that it really disappeared. <laughs> with I mean, mirrors. Right. Yeah, trick with mirrors. 
Hey, didn't he do it with the Statue of Liberty too? Yeah, man, he made some big stuff disappear. Man. Yeah, that that guy was impressive. Maybe the, he still is. I don't know. Maybe that's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> David, what about you know David Blaine? Oh yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I know a lot more about David Copperfield than I do about David Blaine. But David Blaine, what he does is. Like his stuff is more unexplainable than David Copperfield. It it really is. It really is. Yeah, it's because, absurd. Yeah, because like as far as David Copperfield and the Statue of Liberty goes, it's just like, hey, turn around, it's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, are we ruining magic like we did Santa Claus? Hey, I, what we're doing. I have, <laughs> hey, kids, hey, Santa kids. isn't real. I have a or lot of David. David. <laughs> I have some David Blaine tricks that I can do, and so. Um, it, you're right. It is hard to explain, and then you get the trick, and it's like, oh, well, I mean, he's <laughs> just so cool with it. Every time, he's just like, "Hey, can you hold this quarter for me?" <laughs> that man knows just, exactly what yeah, he's selling. He, he, yeah, he's just like, "Okay, now what I want you to do with the quarter is, I want you to look at it. Right? Does it look like it's looking at you? <laughs> Are you sure?" All right, well, like, turn it over about 90 degrees, and then next thing you know, like, water's flowing out of the mouth. And it's like, what are you, what? What? You've watched way too much David Blaine because you really sound like him. Yeah. I watch too much of everything. <laughs> TV is my life. Literally quite, yes. Yeah, you do. So as far as fooling somebody... I would say do the math on that one. You can, if you want. Like, you can go down that path if you'd like. In my opinion, it sort of leans back to about the lies and how all of these men held on to this for so long. It would be easier for them to be like, man, we got conned. You know, if it's a con man thing, the true heart belief, there's something more to this particular belief in the resurrection from the dead. That separates from, in my opinion, from Conman. I couldn't go with that theory very long. It just didn't work. So the next point, number five, is they were influenced. So it's been brought up over the centuries that there were key people among the disciples and that all of these things were true, and so they were influenced by someone who had some power. For instance, did Mary Magdalene have, because she was rich, did she have some power over the people? No, the disciples say that they didn't believe her, right? So she didn't really have much influence, um, not in the scriptures. How about the collective women that gave to the ministry, that helped keep the ministry going? We talked about in Luke chapter 8. Nope, they didn't believe them either, right? When they came and they were talking about it. Peter, he had some clout. I mean, Peter, uh, but he came like after the women had talked about it. And chronologically speaking, it just it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. And here's the one that really blows my mind, like as far as influence. Let's talk about the Apostle Paul for a second. So he was completely separated from all of it. He met the, the risen Christ in a vision on the road to Damascus, knocked off his horse, he's blinded, right? But if you think about it, he didn't want any of this to be true, right? No, he was a zealot on a mission. He wanted it squashed. He did, he he was going to kill anybody that believed in this nonsense. It was nonsense. He in fact, he saw it as pure evil like it was the devil and he was trying to stamp it out. And so, but did he have just like some random sort of crazy vision all of a sudden and now Jesus is telling him to switch everything he's learned his entire life and take about all the powerful people that were influencing his life to just change his mind one day? I mean, to me it speaks more like he wasn't delusional. He he wasn't influenced by those other people. He just 
It ha- like it happened to this guy. It just it happened to him. So and only to run and get beheaded in AD sixty six. And you guys remember what I read? I mean, I I can't remember if we haven't even got to that. I don't think because we're so out of sequence here in this podcast. But we read about what he how he suffered. You know, five times the what was it forty lashes less one and the shipwrecks and the beatings and all of that stuff. So we got to wrap this episode up. I've only got two more points. Number six, they were distorted. So skeptics say that these writings didn't show up until the late first and second century. So now what we're doing is we're getting into like the gospels themselves, the actual writings. And so, in fact, the soonest that we get a full gospel isn't until 300 AD. That's when we get a full gospel. The Bible AD 363 at the Council of Laodicea, not Nicaea, but Laodicea. It's when they get the full New Testament. Okay. So that's 330 years after the death of Christ. So there's a lot going to it. You can go in, you can research how all of this, if you, you know, how the Bible was compiled, if you'd like. Well, let me clear something up though. We, 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 the, the earliest Bible we have comes from 300, but uh, in the beginning it wasn't written down, but then it was written down. So that we had Bibles before 300 because those were copies of copies of copies. So the Bible did exist before then. It's just, we don't have any of the copies that existed before then. And we don't have any of the original writings. The fragment of Mark that I was talking about earlier uh, they have been able to date it to as close as 53 AD, which would be exactly 20 years after Christ. Some believe it's as early as 45 AD, which is not that long in those days to have a written gospel. So orally speaking or written, and this is just a fragment of one copy. We don't know. There could have been you know, several copies at this point, and maybe not just this one, of course. There could have been several copies right. going around. They just happened to find one that was safely kept over 2,000 years. So think about it. Chances are, if you found one, there's more, right? So um, one of the things that they do, uh, one of the foundational principles in regard to proving the New Testament letters in their earliest forms is based on the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 A.D., so in Matthew's Olivet Discourse, uh, Jesus prophecies that the temple would be destroyed. Do you think that it's odd that all of the gospels and letters and everything never mention the destruction of the temple? If Jesus had prophesied that the temple would be destroyed, and you wanted to make a stronger case about the things that you believe, wouldn't you, as a writer of the New Testament, write that this actually took place? Because it was destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus said that it would happen, and it actually happened 40 years later. So wouldn't you write that down? A lot of (laughs) scholars today, a lot of people that were against the belief of early writings, now they believe that they were written earlier, maybe even in Hebrew, the Hebrew language instead of Greek, and that because it was a Hebrew religion, truthfully, that this information, the reason why they don't write about the destruction of the temple is simply because the temple was still there. And it was because it was still they were still looking to the future of its destruction when these letters and these gospels were written. So that's one of the proofs that they use for the validity of the scripture and the early dates. So anyway, take it or leave it. You can do your own deductive reasoning and you can determine whether any of this is accurate or not. Or you can come to number seven, which is it happened just as it says that it happened. So the death, burial, and resurrection of a man 
is not possible. We don't see that. We just don't. But at the stage, with all of the minimum evidence that was given, does it mean that it isn't reasonable? And in my opinion, it is reasonable. I think that there is the possibility, based on the information that was given, that one man actually was risen from the dead, based on all accounts, from the earliest documents. And that's my point of view. And so, Andy, have you converted? <laughs> I think it'll be a cold I, day I in hell if he converts. <laughs> a cold day in yeah. hell? Ouch! <laughs> If yes. you answer right, I'll give you extra rolls at dinner, Danny. Andy? Danny. Where did that come from? Let me, you asked him that, and I looked over, and I was just like, he's not even here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he was listening long ago. I was leaning on the, on the thing. That's why I love being in a different room, no matter what room. <laughs> because... Uh, he was doing yoga a minute ago. I, oh, yeah, was he? Stretching, <laughs> yes. standing up mostly. He's taking a shower. I made a coffee. <laughs> See, but I put a really long cord oh, on. So I, could, I, can, I could use a coffee. coffee. I could make a bunch. I, we could make a bunch of coffees. I would uh, love to have some coffee. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I'm too ADD to be in the same room mm-hmm. like as everyone else. So I need a wall between me and everyone else so I can be my Stand twitchy self. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know where I've told you I'm OCD. Um, many times but while we're sitting here i'm i'm reminding myself i'm blowing on this <laughs> I, I, i'm because i'm talking i'm breathing and I'm getting too much on the right side so every now and then i go and i blow on the left I, every once in a while i do shit like that i'm not really like that but yeah if you if you turn left too much i don't know <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you got to turn right just to kind of is, feel balanced again. Is eating a full bowl of ice cream every night in front of the television autism or OCD or any other problem? Um, I don't think so. I don't Dang. know how to answer Dang. that. Am I on the spectrum? In no, but fashion? I can see it from yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a pumpkin shirt so that I can, just today, so it can feel real with the 3D image here. Giving with you a, a freaking vest. Oh, that's not a pumpkin? I can't help it. It is a pumpkin. I'm giving you the 3D version. A, no, yeah. I mean, oh, that's not well, actually that's a pumpkin. That's a big pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, I'm smuggling a pumpkin underneath the shirt. It's a Rick a lantern. <laughs> it's another miracle. Rick's pregnant. I think I think yeah. our listeners need to know that for the amount that Rick talks about himself being fat, it's actually not really true. No, yeah. no. Yeah. It is true. It is true. Fatter than I was. Because when I listen, when I met Holly, I weighed 187. Today I weigh 260. That's all love. No, baby. you do not. There's do. no way. I do. I'll weigh you myself right you now. You do not weigh 260. I'm all I'm every bit of that. I weigh 270. I, I am there's no way I'm I'm like four inches taller than you. If I say that I'm dense, <laughs> <laughs> you can take it in any way you'd like. Yeah, like a star. You're thick. <laughs> <laughs> like a star. Exactly. Well, hunk of lead. Jonas, what do you think about all this, man? I need to do my research. Yeah? Yeah, I really need to get start reading again. Yeah. You want yeah. to come back and do some more? Oh, yeah. I'd definitely come back. Just next time, I really need to read. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you can't keep up with Rick and Ralph. Oh, you, well, I mean, you like, can't keep up with Ralph. Yeah. Well, it's no, just I mean, like, I can keep up are... with, like, talking. As far as reading goes, it makes me sleepy. So, I, so it's just like, just as long as we're, like, talking in here, it's all, like, extremely fascinating to it's, me it's, as well. Yeah. It's much more fun to hear them talk about it than it is to read Rick's notes. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, absolutely I mean, right. No, I, I agree. With that. Yeah. 
Frank's well, notes like, are very good for the record. <laughs> they they listen, are great if he gives them to you like three days ahead of time instead of like nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Generally, he, <laughs> That's a oh, he, he kicks them out like a week out. I mean. Yeah, he, we're, we're getting to the point where we're about five, six days out. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. trying, but it is, it's difficult. And then when you're, when we're out of sequence, it's even harder to keep oh, my yeah. brain like, where was I? And what did I say? Like, I was going to call Andy. For the listeners in the future ones, I call him Rocket Man. I was going to call him Rocket Man today, and it was like, they're not going to have a clue. They're like, oh, that's I have no funny. idea. I'm oh, not yeah, I, didn't, oh, really? I was yeah. waiting wow. for it. I couldn't yeah. do it, but now I did. Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. <laughs> Put there it in there, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Challenger. Oh, <laughs> boom. Ouch. Oh, that was funny. That yeah, was kind of appropriate, yeah, was, actually. Yeah. And there's a really good uh, 80s reference for the, for the podcast. So, uh, yeah. so I have I have a joke in is lieu of Rex. This is my one bad joke. And I don't have one today. Good. Let's hear it. I, I, I know. I was like, I can drag out this one really old joke that I remember from the Reader's Digest when I was like 15 or something. Uh Okay, so sorry, I'm remembering. It was actually it in my a Playboy, head. wasn't it? It wasn't yeah. your style, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, these three guys, uh, these three guys die and they go to heaven, and they're just kind of in the line together. They didn't know each other in life, and uh, so they talk and they kind of get to know each other. You know, just however long they're in the line. And the first guy steps up to St. Peter's old joke form, of course. It's Larry the Apostle. Larry, the first guy, <laughs> the fifteenth Apostle, yeah. Starts uh, uh, steps up to Larry the Apostle, and uh, Larry the Apostle says, uh, "He's got the book, and he looks through it, and he's like, well, it looks like you were a you were a pretty good man.' He's like, uh, all this other stuff, you know, but you never cheated on your wife, and, and uh, you were super faithful and good to her. And in heaven, you get a car based on how you treated your spouse. He's like, so you get a limousine, so." The next guy comes up and and it's the same thing. He talks about the car and he's like, "Well, you were a little unfaithful, I guess, uh, but I mean, really, you did good, ish. So you know, you get like a like a like a nice ish sedan. It's fine." And the third guy goes through and it's the same. It's the same deal, right? Whatever. His car doesn't even matter. So a couple of weeks later, maybe a couple of months later, like uh, this guy pulls up uh, next to the guy with the limousine. And uh, just at a traffic light, and they're like, oh, my God, you're that guy I was totally in line with on the way here. And the guy and the the other car is, like, crying. And the guy in the limousine is like, oh, my God, what happened? How can you be crying in heaven? And he's like, I just saw my wife go by on a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I like I that. I like it. I like that. It's funny. We're on a radio. They couldn't see that I'm sitting here dying. I know. Oh, yeah, he knew After it. the first he thing, I remembered he, the he joke. He saw it coming. Yep. You know, we had the, read, we had the <laughs> Reader's Digest subscription, so I always read those. I even <laughs> submitted a couple of jokes. But I thought you were going to say that she got a brown probe. And I was like, <laughs> I don't remember that joke, but I, I don't know how to get to the – I know it's a punchline, but I don't remember the joke format. Yeah. So. I, think I, I think I messed it up a little bit, but I think it was close enough. She came by on a <laughs> skateboard. Right. All right. Let's – this yeah. is huge. Let's cut this That's off. what she okay. – Said. <laughs> That's what they said at uh, whenever. <laughs> this is huge. Let's cut it off. They said that at my circumcision when I was a baby. No. So, all right. Well, thanks, Billy. I appreciate you being here. Yep. You, uh, as always, you're the eye candy. Oh, yep. You got the That's sexy pipes. I, yeah. That's Ralph, thank you so much, Andy and Jonas. I hope you will come back. I hope yeah. you will start reading the Bible nonstop. 12 yes. hours yeah, a day. There's a, a, that's a fun voice. I'll put you on that mic so you sound good. 
Yeah, Great. we'll just yeah. I hope you'll come back and oh yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely come back if everyone else wants me to come yeah. back. Oh yeah, oh, definitely. oh well then yeah. no. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, you're <laughs> not welcome right, to fine. in our Bible. Do you remember he did, Andy yeah. didn't want me in here? Either. Do you remember when you called Andy old? <laughs> oh, when I called him old. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea. See ya. Represent. <laughs>